We are Snowbird Nation. Hey, welcome to Snowbird Nation, a lifestyle connection of resources to designing lives. What is a snowbird, you ask? Well, a snowbird is a person who travels south or west during the winter months in order to escape northern weather and obtain partial relief from the high cost of northern area taxes. So snowbirding is that act of traveling and living part of the year and spending part of the time in southern and western areas to enjoy the beautiful climate and all the south and west has to offer, while at the same time avoiding the harsh polar vortex that may be coming in the winter weather of the north. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, podcast, YouTube, Vimeo, and elsewhere, for we are Snowbird Nation, and I am the voice of Snowbird Nation, Mike Searcy. Snowbird Nation is divided into two segments per episode. Segment one is dedicated to education and opportunity for you or those of you who want to learn more about snowbirding. Segment two is dedicated to those of you visiting the Valley of the Sun, whether you're visiting now for a number of months or a short vacation with us here in Arizona. We're going to go over what exciting events are happening as well as cover the real estate market numbers to date. So you will want to stick with us on today's show. Segment one starts right now on Snowbird Nation. Welcome to the show. My name is Mike Searcy. I am the voice of Snowbird Nation and the professor. And as the professor, I want to talk a little bit about uh, a particular deal we had this week with one of our Snowbird Nation clients. Uh, Again, knowledge is power. And that can mean an awful lot when it comes to deciding how we're going to actually construct a deal, especially in this time of a seller's market where Maricopa County here in Arizona is truly the fastest growing county in the United States. Before the coronavirus hit, uh, we were growing at a rate of approximately 300 people per day on average moving into this county. And as since the coronavirus hit, yeah, there's that rumor going around. We've talked about it before where people believe – I'm not a medical doctor, so I cannot speak to this one way or the other – where people have a tendency to believe that the heat kills the virus. And as a result of the said heat killing the virus, more and more people are coming to Arizona with the idea that they're escaping the virus and thus uh, coming to the desert for their own health, which, of course – We understand the sentiment, and we certainly like the telephone calls from those of you in Snowbird Nation coming down here looking for a property and uh, wanting to move here sometimes as fast as you possibly can uh, because of the fears and the various epicenters of the uh, number of cases of the coronavirus throughout the country, uh, Chicago and other places as well. And, of course, we appreciate that uh, from a business standpoint. And we also appreciate the trust that many of you have to, you know, when you're thinking about Arizona, the first thing you're thinking about is calling us, we here at Snowbird Nation. Okay. And so having said that, I want to talk a little bit about 
one of the deals that we just put together recently because, again, knowledge is power. And if you don't have the right people on your side advocating for you, you can leave money on the table. We talked in a previous episode about how to deal with someone who's coming from ostensibly a buyer's market uh, and understanding life and real estate in negotiation from a buyer's market standpoint, meaning all the properties actually list at, oh, let's say uh, this price, but they sell at approximately 85, 95% of list price. So it's a 95% list to sell ratio is what we say. But here in Arizona, we are actually in what we might call a seller's market, the simple mathematics of supply and demand economics. As such, there are fewer sellers and more buyers, which raises the price and the desirability of those houses, that inventory that currently is on the market. So how do we stay in the conversation as a buyer and not just get shut out because we were $1,000 shy, you know, $2,000 shy, whatever it might be. And that might even be if we went in at list price, basically saying we're going to give them exactly what they want, or at least what they're asking for. And then fine, we're still shut out because the list to sell ratio here in Arizona is over 100%. So if this, if it's listing for let's say $100,000, it's very easily going to and potentially going to actually sell here in Arizona in the Valley of the Sun for approximately 105, 107, 110. Now, we can certainly get into that conversation and we have tricks of, uh, you know, uh, various tricks of the trade, if you will, in negotiation uh, techniques to get you in that conversation. So you are the one that everyone that the sellers are wanting to talk to. But let's go ahead and, and look at this from a different perspective. Um, I, we have a buyer, for example, that uh, put an offer in on a condo. And they are buying the property and they're putting 3% down on a conventional loan. Now, having said that, there are some Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that's the government organizations that kind of oversee a number of the mortgages and home loans per se. And as such, those are the conditions and guidelines that a number of the institutions have to follow. And so if you're putting you know, 3% down, there's only a certain percentage that we might ask the seller in the form of concessions, meaning we want a certain amount of the money back from the actual uh, seller to go toward what we say prepaids, closing costs, impounds, escrow uh, escrow fees, etc., and even potentially even buying down the rate in terms of points to bring down your interest rate for the loan itself. Having said that, one of the, uh, the things is that depending upon how much money you're putting down specifically uh, for the loan, for the property, that actually dictates how much and what percentage the seller might be able to put down or give back to you in concessions. And so let's say, for example, we were already getting a 3% concession from the seller, meaning we were going in at a certain dollar figure and the seller had agreed to provide back 3% of the purchase price to assist the buyer in their closing costs, prepays, impounds, escrow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to assist them in getting the loan and thus getting the house. This is not uncommon, although it is less common in a seller's market. So we get this. 
Then we do the, we go through what we call the inspection period. And in Arizona, the inspection period is what I often call the first of two major exit ramps that a buyer has if they're suffering from, example, buyer's remorse, or they come back to me and say, Mike, for whatever reason, I need out of this contract. The, the inspection period is really the first easy out, if you will, um, the second being the appraisal. And so the first one there is is an easy out. But we go through the inspection period. We have an inspector go through the property. Now, we have put together after that inspection what we call a repair request, a repair request list. And we go ahead and send it to the seller. There are a few things that we've asked for in terms of physical repairs and a couple of things that we have specifically asked them to send to the HOA property management in order to get on the schedule for certain maintenance issues that need to be addressed on that particular property. And then the the seller turns around and says, you know what, I don't want to do any of this stuff. And the seller contacts me and he says, I'm not interested in in fixing these physical repair items. What I would like to do is offer some money instead. Well, in that case, we put together the appropriate uh, citations on the inspection uh, notice, inspection report notice, and then also addressed it with a separate addendum that indicated that the seller wished to give, in addition to the, let's say, 3% uh, seller concessions, an extra X dollar amount to go along with that particular 3% concessions. And when we looked at this, one of the first things I had to do was contact the lender immediately because knowing, and again, not all agents are up to date or, if you will, on a lot of the current negotiation strategies, nor are they up to date on the current basic conditions of various loans. So we called the lender and said, is this even doable or have they maxed out? The lender said, I'm so glad you called. Because in this particular case, the lender had already, uh, you know, but based on what was going on, going on there, we asked for 3%. We got 3% and 3% was the max that this particular uh, lender could allow for that particular borrower, given the amount of money they were putting down to get the loan to begin with, for the seller to give as a concession. Had we not followed this up, folks, what would have happened is that we would have gone all the way to closing and that uh, amount of money for the repairs would have been disallowed, the repairs would not have been done, and the buyer would have been there looking at everybody going, what happened? And that's one of the reasons, again, why it's very important that we are making sure that we indeed have uh, people Specialists on our team, for example, here at Snowbird Nation, we have people that are specializing just in showing houses and helping you find the defects and the faults and the problems and why this is a good property versus a bad property. What are the pros and cons of this one versus another one you're looking at? We have contract and negotiation specialists that are specifically paying attention to uh, those things in real estate that need to be focused on in the course of the negotiation as your chief real estate advocate. 
And then, of course, we have people that will uh, will specialize specifically in the transaction documents that are specifically going to be dealt with in terms of making sure the lender and the title company and everybody has what's needed to keep on track and moving forward so that closings can happen on time and that you can actually get your keys on time. So when people call us from Snowbird Nation and they say, how fast can I get into a property? A lot of that's going to depend on are we paying cash or are we financing? And do we have the right people in place to actually shepherd all of the process. There's a lot of moving parts to a real estate transaction in every state. And do we have the right people to shepherd those processes who have proven themselves to be competent all the way through? And boy, if you don't, if, if, if you just don't, there can be some serious issues in various, various steps of the way. And that's why we have people who are going to specifically focus on different specialized parts of that and experts throughout the entire Arizona community, as well as um, looking at the, the process, specializing in the processes themselves. So if you're thinking about a second home, uh, here in Snowbird Nation, or if you're thinking about uh, looking at um, uh, a retirement place, you know, we're going to sell the one where we are here in Illinois, for example, and then come down to here in Arizona and find a place to retire. Um, now's a good time, uh, especially if you're thinking about doing that even a couple of years early. Uh, we can help kind of walk you through that and help you manage those particular properties during the time that you're not yet ready to be down here and have it generate some income specifically for you. So these are things that um, that we have to note and, and go because now and, – and by the way, I want to kind of wrap that up. Um, so what what do we do when the lender says they're already capped out, but there's a dollar figure that the seller has indeed promised that particular purchaser? For us, what that turned into was the opportunity to specifically then put in an addendum and lower the purchase price – by the amount of money that the uh, seller and buyer had agreed to to purchase that particular property to begin with. And now what we have is a less of a loan as a result, so less money even when 3% of, of a higher dollar figure is a higher dollar than 3% of a lower dollar figure, of course. And so now the buyer is going to come in with just a little bit less money to actually close that pro- property, close that loan, obtain those keys, own that property because of the negotiations that were attached to the inspection. And so it's a win-win all the way around. The, the seller doesn't have to do the, per, the uh, repairs that needed to, be, needed to have been done. The purchaser gets not only the, let's say, 3% that they're going to get from the seller to begin with, but then also a slight drop in the purchase, agreed-upon purchase price already in order to make that whole deal go together. And so – as your chief real estate advocate, these are the kinds of things we do to make sure you are indeed getting your best deal in a seller's market, which is what we are in right now. And for another one of those ways we do that, check back the last episode um, that we put together where we talked about the escalation clause, because that is one's very specific uh, strategy that most agents don't even know about. And that's going to help you uh, coming from a buyer's market mindset 
and save your money while at the same time being able to compete in a seller's market where there might be the chance and opportunity that there will be multiple offers on any given property very quickly. See, because the properties here go very quickly. If it's on the market, you know, um, a couple of weeks, uh, a lot of times that's a surprise. Um, the the properties that you probably want and are desirable, if you're looking at all those public websites, Realtor.com and Zillow and things like this, the likelihood is they're already under contract because Realtor.com and Zillow and all these thousands of, of public websites are immediately syndicated through our Realtor uh, source database. And if you need a connection to that Realtor source database, contact me here at Snowbird Nation. Because uh, what's happening is the 48 to 72 hours sometimes that a lot of those uh, public websites are syndicated from the source database, uh, by the time that they actually hit those websites, they're already under contract and you're calling about properties that are also that are already no longer available. And then you're getting mad at the realtor or whoever it is you might call because you're thinking, I wait a minute, it's right here showing on this public website, realtor.com, Zillow, any of these other ones, of course, that uh, uh, that this property is available. Don't go lying to me and tell me it's not available. In fact, it's not available. It just hasn't it just hasn't the, the status just hasn't caught up yet to the public website. And that becomes an issue. So you really do need to get a hold of your favorite real estate advocate who is competent and knows what they're doing and has the knowledge to hook you up to the source database. So having said that, um, I'm just just kind of my couple of words for today, kind of looking at that particular deal, um, because I think it's important for us in our real estate purchasing education. Uh, that's And that's one of the reasons why they call me the professor uh, here at Snowbird Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take our break. After break, we're going to look at uh, our quick market update for this particular week and then check out a couple of other things going on around town. Thanks. You've been listening to Snowbird Nation with your host, Mike Searcy. To find out how you can become a member, go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Snowbird Nation. Simply click on Become a Patron to join. You'll receive private investment opportunity, exclusive content, monthly news, and real-time industry updates. Join us every week right here on Snowbird Nation. Here is your real estate market update for the Valley of the Sun here in Arizona for the first week of June 2020. Sponsored by Mike Searcy, your chief real estate advocate and professor of Snowbird Nation. And also sponsored by Debbie Rogers and Dave Bombacci of Lawyer's Title of Arizona. Today we start with Sun City. Sun City has a slight seller's advantage in the market, with houses listing currently and holding steady from last week at an average of $155 per square foot, with a house median list price of $242,450 and an average day on market of 69 Sun City condominiums are currently listing at and also holding steady from last week, an average of $132 per square foot. Condominiums are currently listing at a median list price of $157,900 with an average days on market of 79 
For Scottsdale, the snapshot zip code we are looking at today is 85260, which is roughly the area around Frank Lloyd Wright and the 101. Here we are looking at a strong seller's market with houses listing on average and down from last week, currently at $285 per square foot. The median list price for houses in this area is $797,500 with an average days on market of 75. For this area of Scottsdale, condominiums listing at and holding steady from last week, an average of $239 per square foot. And the median list price for condominiums is $327,000 with an average days on market of 68. In Phoenix, we are looking at a snapshot of zip code 85023, which is also a strong seller's market. Here, the list prices of houses are holding step up, I'm sorry, up from last week, averaging $189 per square foot. The median list price for houses in this area is $399,900, with an average days on market of 72. For this zip code in Phoenix, condominiums are down from last week, listing at $139 per square foot. And the median list price for condominiums is $190,000, with an average days on market of 48. In Glendale, we are looking at a snapshot of zip code 85310. Again, another strong seller's market, where we have houses down from last week, listing for an average at $187 per square foot. The current median list price for houses here is $550,000, with an average days on market of 87. For this zip code in Glendale, there is no aggregate condominium data to report. If you are interested in buying or selling and wanting to know how these numbers specifically affect your situation, call or text me, Mike Searcy, your chief real estate advocate and the professor for Snowbird Nation at 217-553-3509. All right, welcome back into the second half of this program here on episode 13. Uh, with me uh, this in this particular episode, I have Andy Stansell. Andy, say hi. Hello, everyone. Andy is one of the people that if you're looking at wanting here in Snowbird Nation to work on your pool, this is the person who's going to actually help you with that. And today I've asked Andy to bring some of her tips and tricks with her when it comes to taking care of the pool by yourself. Because, of course, when you're coming in and out of Snowbird Nation, spending part of the time in Cleveland, Ohio, or someplace like that, you know, up in God knows where, and then uh, spending the better months down here in the Valley of the Sun here in Arizona, one of the things we want to pay attention to is how are you keeping that pool up to date and keeping it healthy so everyone else that's actually using it, like yourselves, can indeed stay healthy. And thus, I've asked Andy to bring with us a couple of her tips and tricks. So, Andy, what have you got for us? Well, uh, keeping in good charge with your chemical balance is always important. That's the first key to a nice, clean, and healthy pool, not just for the way it looks, but also for your skin, for the well-being of any family members, friends, or pets that might be enjoying the beautiful luxury of having a pool. Uh, it's fairly easy to keep uh, on, on top of those types of issues, uh, checking your chlorine levels and making sure that you have a good filtration system, a uh, pump that's running regularly on schedule, and skimming the pool every day is so. One of so the let's easiest. break that down. Let's let's go ahead and let me let me stop you there. Let's break that down a little bit. First off, you're talking chemicals. Mm -hmm. I'm coming from Chicago. Mm -hmm. 
I don't snort chemicals. I don't put chemicals even in the pool. What am I supposed to do when it comes to there's the pool. I see that pool. I'm probably going to hire somebody to come in at least, you know, once a week, once every other week, whatever it's necessary. But in between time, if I'm talking about putting chemicals in, what are we really talking about here? What do I have to do? Get a couple of those chewable Clorox and just toss them in as they go or what? Exactly. That is the easiest, simplest, most basic thing you can do for the chemical health of your pool is just to make sure that that bobber with those chlorine tabs is always full. I'm supposed to have a bobber? What's this? Yeah, it's a little floater. You can get it that looks like it's blue and white, very generic. You can get the fun ones that have the little rubber ducky with the sunglasses or the shark with the sunglasses. I've been told I look like the rubber ducky with the sunglasses, just just saying. Well, I think the rubber ducky is slightly more yellow, but I get what you're going there. All right, well, you know. As long as I stay away from jaundice. At any rate, when we start looking at this here, so we're talking about just throwing in some of these these Clorox pellets, right? Well, don't just throw them in. They don't belong on the bottom of your pool. They don't? No. I've seen people do that, though. Yes, and I have, too. But what that's going to do is essentially eat away at the finish on your pool, can leave some stains. That's okay. why it belongs in a bobber that floats nicely along the top. And uh, fairly easy to do. You just... Twist off the cap, insert them, twist the cap back on, and check it every few days. Every few days. So I don't mm-hmm. have to think about this every day? No. All right. So I can, I can just send the kids out there every other day and just have them open it up, take a good sniff, decide whether or not there's enough chlorine in there, not chew it too much, too hard, and then not swallow it you at all. You could also just... just throw one of them in and see if they come out too itchy. You mean the kid or the bobber? <laughs> the, ch- the child, although the I child. don't recommend okay. Throwing right. them in against their will. If they come out too itchy. There you go, folks. If you've got too much chlorine in the pool, you're going to come out itchy. You've heard it here first. <laughs> All right. So we've got the chlorine. That's going to take care of the chemical as far as what we're going to do between between stops of a professional, right? Between Correct. the cleanings of a professional. What's the next thing? You said filter. Mm-hmm. Uh, your professional that's coming by should have your pool pump program to a timer system. But make sure that at no point... You know, someone accidentally pushes the button off. It's just a real quick glance at the pool pump to make sure that the timers are active, to make sure the lights are on. If your pool seems overly dirty one day because of a windstorm, because some debris floated into your pool, it's as simple as pushing the quick clean cycle. It'll run your pump for two hours, clean up any additional debris outside of the regular running schedule. That's also something very simple and easy that homeowners can do, and there's absolutely no work required other than just checking your pool pump, pushing a button here or there, and you're done. Okay, so when when we're talking about the filter, we're really talking about the computer. Right. And the only thing that we should have to do is really kind of double check, make sure the lights are on even if we're not home. Correct. All right. So then it's happened before. I've come over to a pool to do okay. regular maintenance yeah. and the filters turn completely off. And do you think people have done that or do you think that that just happens with a with an electrical storm or something? Uh, those are kind of hardwired on similar to like if you have a power strip. Uh-huh. your home for your computers and TVs that uh, there shouldn't be anything that causes that unless you had a major power outage in the area everything okay. should be running all right so the filter is really the computer at this point that's what yes. we're talking about okay so after we've got the chlorine and we've got the uh, computer we just make sure it's on if it's too dirty we're just gonna hit the quick wash button mm-hmm. I can do that that's pretty easy what's my next tip the other tip is to get a really good skimming rake. Or, skimming rake. You well, mean like the kind I used to rake leaves on the lawn up north? It's a pool rake, 
They that's a specific term they use for it in the pool store, but it actually looks more like a mesh basket on the end of a pole. A mesh basket on the end of a pole, like a butterfly net. Kind of, yes, exactly okay. like I've, that. I've been chased by those, I think. So, okay, so <laughs> what are we going to do with that? We are going to use that to skim the top of the surface of the pool. Okay. You want to do it at least once a day. And it's not a lot of work involved. So 10 to 15 minutes. And if you don't have much debris in your pool, if you don't have much going on, then that's just fine too. Still a quick sweep across the top. We'll get the water water agitated. You keep that water circulating and moving. Uh, make we, sure that we want to make have... the pool angry. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, maybe. No, I don't think so. So we're not making the water agitated. Agitating the water is a term used of keep moving the water that might not be moving at the moment because your pool pump's not running. Okay. Or All right, so the water won't be irritated. No, it shouldn't right. be. Unless, of course, we have too much chlorine and then we're itchy. Yeah. Got it. Okay, just checking. But what that's going to do is that's going to extend the life of not just your pool vacuum or whatever system is used to manually or automatically clean the bottom of the pool and the stuff that gets dumped into there via wind, children, pets, whatever. Uh, It's going to extend the life of your pool pump overall. It's going to make your water clearer, look prettier. Okay, so we've got this. I've, I've got the net. I'm going to call it a net. You can call it a rake. But we're going to take and we're going to rake this across the top of the pool. We're going to get the things and agitate and irritate the water at the same time. And the same process, we're going to pull this out. We're going to put it, put it to the side when we're done. We've done these three things every day. But now I'm going to go ahead and switch gears on you for a moment if I can. What happens when we actually have somebody who's the pool person, the pool professional coming, let's say, how often do they come typically? Once a week? Once a month? Once every six months? Typically, they should only need to come once a week max. To do what? They check the chemical level of the pool. They have test trips available uh, with them. Okay. So they will test the water right then and there. They'll see what it needs. They'll add any specific chemicals. If there's anything added where it is unsafe for someone to swim immediately after applying. They'll let the owners know, wait two hours before you swim. A lot of people like to schedule these type of maintenance visits earlier in the day or later in the day to avoid, you know, any conflict of schedule with using the pool during the day, which is typically when most people will choose to do that. But they'll communicate with you. Otherwise, it's just a routine check to make sure everything's on the up and up, everything's in the appropriate levels. There's six different things that they test for, which we won't go into that because nobody That's another really episode. needs to know that. Yeah. But yeah, they'll skim the top of the water for you if it needs it. They'll check for any uh, inconsistencies with the pool vacuum if it looks like it's not doing its job with cleaning properly. They'll do all the other little tedious things that maybe you don't want to do yourself. Okay. Uh, that's that skimmer uh, net, as you called it, uh, can also be used to fish things out of the bottom of the pool as well. So if there's any extra debris, extra leaves, anything like that, they'll probably take care of that at that point so that you don't have excess uh, stuff. Yeah, well, you know, then your vacuum isn't working twice as hard. Okay. Nothing to clog the pipes, so to speak. Right. All right. Sounds good. I had to unclog a golf ball out of the bottom of a 
vacuum earlier today. So You know, there's a lot of homes here that actually have putting greens directly next to the pool. So those of you that in Snubber Nation who just found that to be a little bit odd, it's really not that odd. There are putting greens in people's backyards here that we can certainly set you up with. If you're looking for, if you're a golfer from, you know, Cleveland, Ohio, and want to come down here specifically to spend your Snowbird Nation time, your Snowbird time of the year, actually putting around in the backyard for real, you can do that right here as well. Andy, I have another question for you specifically geared toward our Snowbird audience. What would, we, what would you recommend to do to a pool if someone's going to be gone during the summer months here in Snowbird Nation? The summer months in Arizona, they go back up north to be with their families and loved mm-hmm. ones up there. What would you recommend for pool, to have done for pool care down here while they're away in the house is what we call a lock and leave? Definitely get someone to take charge of taking care of your pool because the maintenance is the highest in demand during those summer months when the water is getting hot because of the temperature outside. We have our monsoon season during those months, which can cause a lot of excess debris and other things to float into your pool, which if nobody's taking care of that pool, it's going to look like a dark green cesspool by the time you return. I would recommend investing in a nice pool cover if no one's going to be using it. Still have someone coming by checking on those levels because the last thing you want to do is come back from your extended stay out of town and have to invest hundreds of dollars in fixing something that could have been less costly and maintaining the entire time. Fabulous. Uh, So one of the things we have to make sure that we are Right on top of things, as far as that goes, is having a proper pool professional who's ready to serve you even when you're not here. We call it a lock and leave. You find that particular property here in Snowbird Nation, and when you're ready to lock it up and leave, and if you're not renting it out, for example, in a VRBO vacation scenario or even a long-term rental longer than perhaps 60 days in most HOA uh, environments that are required, we're talking about having somebody make sure that that pool is kept regularly maintained so that it's ready and available for you by the time you get back here during your snowbird nation time and you're ready to avoid the polar vortex and the winter weather of the north you know the winter months are actually some of the most enjoyable to use a pool for those type of snowbirders who don't like to be baking out in the middle of the summer sun and still want to enjoy that nice pool and lounge and soak up that sun There's uh, plenty of pool heaters and other things that can make that uh, pool experience very comfortable. And there you have it. Why would you want a pool heater in Arizona? I think that question has just now been addressed. (laughs) Yeah, uh, most other people in the country have to worry about winterizing their pool during those months that are less than hot. But actually, during our winter months, we have such nice weather out here that that is when we actually get a majority of use out of our pool other than the couple of hours we use during these summer months to escape the brutal heat. Fabulous. And if you have any questions for Andy Stansill here at Snowbird Nation, go ahead and send them to me over at mike at snowbirdnation.us. And that wraps it up for today. We will see you in episode 14. You've been listening to Snowbird Nation with your host, Mike Searcy. To find out how you can become a member, go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Snowbird Nation. Simply click on Become a Patron to join. 
you'll receive private investment opportunity, exclusive content, monthly news, and real-time industry updates. Join us every week right here on Snowbird Nation.